This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Lamentations, if you would, this morning, while you're turning your Bibles. If you did not get a copy of the notes for today, or if you need a pen to write with, would you raise your hand? Uh, ushers are going to be coming by your way uh, as, they, as they come through. If you need a copy of the notes or need something to write with today, would you raise your hand? Anybody like that today? Got one over here in this corner. Anybody else? All right. I printed out notes for you and put them in your hands. You can thank me later. Uh, but... Uh, I think, I think today's message is super important, and I want you to take really good notes, and I want you to just maybe have them on your phone or maybe jot down a couple of random thoughts in a journal. I want you to have hardcore resources in your hands that you can look back to later uh, as a point of reference for today's message, because I believe today's message probably could be one of the most important that I'll preach this entire year, uh, because it goes back to having hope when things are really, really dark in life. And all of us, if you've lived any length of time, have come to some really dark places in life where you wonder, will there ever be daylight ever again? And I'm here to tell you that there will. And so today we're taking a look at what the Bible has to say about having hope during the darkness. And we'll find ourselves in Lamentations chapter three. So turn there in your Bibles, if you would, Lamentations chapter three. We're continuing our series that lines up with our New Year's theme entitled, Sure and Steadfast. The idea is this, our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ time and time again. That's why I love this song that we heard this morning. It doesn't matter what I see, it doesn't matter what I feel, because my hope will always be in the promises of God as found in his word. Uh, I love the song that we sing, we open up with, uh, the Bible stands. After everything in this world passes away, God's promises will always stand. Uh, I love the truth of that. We find ourselves in Lamentations chapter three today. Again, just to give you a little bit of a, a refresher from last week, we took a look at the same passage of scripture, but uh, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of the entire nation of Israel uh, in these first few verses in Lamentations chapter three. They found themselves in a very, very dark place where if you can imagine something going badly, it went worse than you could imagine. Uh, where the, the chosen people of God are now seeing God's hand of wrath and chastisement, God's hand of punishment, uh, where basically God had promised to always be near, now feels very, very distant. And I can imagine a lot of confusion comes across the children of Israel as they face this time in their life of, hey, God promised to be good, but this doesn't feel good. Hey, God promised to come through, but he's not coming through. God promised to take care of us, but nobody's taking care of us. And as Christians, we sometimes find those spots in our life where nothing really seems to make a lot of sense and hope seems to be in short supply. And how do we process through and where do we turn in times like that? We'll take a look at that today. Lamentations chapter three, we're gonna start in verse number one. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned and he turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old and hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged about me that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. It's talking of these are the things that God has done to me. God is against me. God has trapped me and I can't get out. Verse number eight, also when I cry, 
and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as the mark for the arrow. He hath caused his arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness he hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. Now I remove my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. And then everything turns a corner in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait on him, the soul that seeketh him. It's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. I've been attending church since before I was born. When I was, uh, my mom was pregnant with me, I was in church the day that I was born. Uh, I got, was in church the next Sunday. I don't know being outside of church from a short period of time when I was 18, 19 years old where I was running from God and kind of doing my own thing and a uh, brief period of time in my life. But other than that, I've been in church for probably over four decades. In my history of being in church, I've never one time ever heard a pastor preach a message about what the Bible says about depression and suicide. Never, not once. And you would almost think that Christians maybe would be immune to this since nobody ever really talks about it. The times where I have heard pastors mention things from the pulpit regarding depression or suicide, it's often been incredibly unhelpful and many times very hurtful. Saying things like, oh, if you're struggling with depression, you should just pray more. If you're struggling with uh, depressive thoughts, you just need to focus on Jesus. If you're depressed, uh, your problem is that you need to turn your frown upside down and just try a little bit harder. Every single one of those statements is harmful, not helpful. To say things like Christians shouldn't struggle with depression, that's an inaccurate statement and is incredibly harmful, but we just need to look at the Bible and find out what the Bible has to say. And so my goal today is to help you uh, and to give you some resources and tools to help yourself and to help other people. I remember... I was serving on staff at a, a church in California, I believe one of the greatest churches in America, and I had the privilege of serving on staff there. And I remember the beginning of the year, there were some changes to the insurance policy for full-time staff members, and uh, one of our HR folks got up and was saying, okay, whenever you go to urgent care, there's going to be a $10 increase on your copay for that, and your, your, your vision insurance is going to go down, and you, don't, you only get a pair of glasses now every three years instead of every two years, and uh, we no longer have mental health coverage, but uh, nobody really needs that anyways. <laughs> And the other change, and I thought to myself, like I'm looking around and everybody's laughing at that. And I thought to myself, I don't think that's funny. Like, what about people that really need help? You just, by that statement and by everyone else's reaction, says, it's not okay to ask for help. And if you need help, help can't be found here. And I thought to myself in that moment, we're setting Christians up for failure. And so why would we take an entire Sunday 
and talk about what the Bible says about depression and suicide. First of all, we want to know want you to know that we know that there are people in our church that are suffering in silence and they're embarrassed to talk about it. There are folks in our church today that are struggling with depression. I don't know your name, but I know that you're struggling and you're embarrassed to say anything about it because you feel there's a certain stigma associated with wearing that label of depression. Even the labels that we put on things like depression or anxiety we use the term mental illness, that when you use that term, you immediately think of somebody maybe walking circles on the sidewalk talking to themselves. We think of someone who's committed to a mental institution, or we think of someone in a straitjacket, or someone who needs to make sure they take their medication every day, otherwise they'll go off of a cliff somewhere. We think of mental illness as some negative connotation of crazy people. But that's not the fact at all. Mental illness is the opposite of mental wellness. And if you're not well mentally, you need help. And so today we want to remove this stigma and embarrassment associated with saying, hey, I'm not okay, folks. It would be a very, very healthy thing this week in our small group gatherings that we have if somebody would say, hey, folks, if you guys could pray for me, I'm struggling with depression and I think it's time for me to do something about that. Or you should say, amen, that's good. I'm happy for you. Glad to hear that. Praise God. As opposed to like, wow, well, that was embarrassing. No, there's no embarrassment associated with it. If you need help, let me just say this. If you need help with life, the church that Jesus started and the body of Christ should be the place that you can go to get the help that you need for whatever ails you in life. And if we just create a culture where it's embarrassing or awkward or uncomfortable to talk about this, that's not helpful. I also want to give you permission to discuss your struggles. If you're not okay, you need to let somebody know. It's okay to talk about it. Nobody's going to judge you here. Nobody has their act together. While somebody might not struggle in this area, they're struggling in another area of their life. We're all imperfect people. And the reason why you are here today is because you know that you are greatly in need of the grace of God in your life. That's why you're here. By being here, you're actually admitting, I'm not okay apart from Jesus and I need help for my life. So some of you today, I want to give you permission to say, it's okay to talk about what you're dealing with. It's okay to seek out the help that you need. You need to go see your doctor. You need to get on medication. You need to talk to a therapist. You need to talk to your pastor. You need to check yourself in somewhere. You have permission to do that because you've got to take care of what God's given you. You have to steward your life well. Whatever you need. Hey, let's do that. Away with the idea that you just need to pray more, focus on Jesus more, you're a terrible Christian if you decide to get help. Away with the idea that that the Bible doesn't have the opportunity to help you. No, we're going to talk about that today at great length, and I hope you'll walk away encouraged. I also want to give you the resources you need to help yourself and help other people. The end of today's message is very practical, and I'm going to put some things in your hands to practically help you to help yourself and help other people that are struggling. And you might be sitting here today saying, Pastor, I've never struggled with depression. I don't know what it's like. Good. Would you take really good notes because you're going to face some valleys in life at some point that you don't know how to make your way out of. And you might say, well, you know, man, I'm in my 60s and I've never faced that. Then I promise you this, you have friends that you know that are facing it that could use some encouragement from you. I also want to give you spiritual solutions for spiritual problems that you're facing. 
Some of the things that deal with depression are spiritual issues, and I want to give you spiritual tools to help you with that. Some of them are emotional issues, and that's not my wheelhouse, and I'm not going to speak to that. Some of them are legitimate medical issues. That's not my area of expertise, and I can't speak to that. But I can help you with the spiritual issues of your life and give you spiritual solutions. We're going to take a look at that today as well. All of this is built on the foundation, though, of Jesus Christ, 100%. We're a church. We're not going to speak to uh, self-help tips that we can give you or five ways to, to live a more fruitful life or something. We're talking about the Bible. And so the foundation of all healing is Jesus Christ, 100%. Foundation. Are there other things that we can use, other tools and resources? Definitely. But the bottom line foundation, Jesus isn't just one of the things that we add to it. Jesus is not the icing on the cake. Jesus is the, is the cake and all the ingredients, okay? That's the foundation of everything. And so that's critical that we get that from the go. That your number one need in this life is not to feel better, to act better, to behave better. Your greatest need in this life is to have your sin cared for. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. I'm going to be really brief, but I want you to know this. You've sinned against God. I've sinned against God. We've broken God's law, not once or twice, but an immeasurable number of times. The only hope that we have for this life and the next is Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and pay for yours so that we don't have to spend eternity separated from him in hell, but that everyone who comes to him in faith and repentance can be forgiven and saved or born again. And friend, if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, if you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, please see me afterwards. I'll take a lady with a lady and a guy with a guy and sit you down with a Bible and tell you how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. If you don't know for sure that God is your Father and Christ has saved you from your sins, the rest of today's message isn't going to make a lot of sense for you. Again, because the foundation of all healing is Jesus Christ. It's important to get from the beginning. Now, again, it's important that we understand as much as we can about the idea of depression and anxiety and mental illness and things that would lead one to decide to take their own lives and most people are largely underinformed, so they're easily misinformed. We don't, we don't really know a lot about it. Again, in, in the church, it's not something that we talk about. It's maybe a hush-hush thing or something that like, did you know that so-and-so said that she was going to see a therapist? Can you believe that? It becomes a source of gossip and even a source of shame. Hey, no, absolutely not. You don't understand enough about the human condition to be able to make decisions like that. One of the men in our church is a, a medical doctor, a, a family care provider. And he said, Pastor, some of the information that you give us on depression and, and understanding the whole person, he said, is more than we get in med school. Like we learn like, hey, don't prescribe these two medications together, but we don't understand to look at other external factors. And most people, you go to talk to your primary care physician and, they, and you tell them, I'm struggling with depression. The first thing that they'll do is whip out their prescription pad and write you a prescription. Is that the right answer? Maybe, maybe not. Are there, are there other factors at work? Absolutely. And we're going to take a look at that today so that we make sure that we make an informed decision on how to best help ourselves. Now, from the beginning, I want you to understand this. I am not a medical doctor, and I will not today dispense medical advice. I know this is a shock to you that your pastor is not a doctor, but I'm not. Uh, and so um, 
here, I'll be really honest with you. The Bible college that I graduated from at the time wasn't even an accredited Bible college, okay? So like my degree really at the end of the day isn't worth the paper that it's printed on. So again, I don't stand on academic credentials. I don't say that to demean the Bible college. I went to a great Bible college and it helped me to get to where I am today. I'm just saying I don't have academic credentials to point you to medical solutions. Does that make sense? I'm giving you spiritual advice today for the spiritual things that ail you. If you need medical advice, you should talk to your doctor. If you need emotional advice, you should talk to your therapist. If you need spiritual advice, you should talk to your pastor. And so again, we're looking at everything today through the lens of Scripture and the Bible. And if you walk away from today saying, oh, I'm not taking my medication anymore, you missed the point. I don't have the ability, I don't want to give that kind of advice because that's not my job. I want to stay in my lane. And so I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving you medical advice today. But... It's important to understand that, that our world has set us up for failure when it comes to mental health. The world as a whole. Sin entered into the world through Adam and that wrecked everything to begin with. But when we begin to look at the rest of the world and the way things are, we've never lived in a society today where we are more prone to failure in the areas of mental health ever in the history of mankind. It is a proven statistical fact that the numbers of uh, people reporting anxiety and depression rose with the invention of, you ready for it? The smartphone. Isn't that interesting? That it's an absolute proven fact. Study after study confirms that the more that people use social media, the more they report anxiety and depression. And I'm not talking about things that your mom posts on Facebook or your grandmother or that crazy aunt that you have shared about the dangers of social media. I'm talking scholarly, peer-reviewed, academic journals that show the link between mental health and social media and how the, the two are inseparably connected. In several recent studies, teenage and young adult users who spent the most time on Instagram and Facebook were shown to have substantially up to 66% more reported depression than those who spent less time. Up to 66%. And again, this is not like, oh, I read some article on some right-wing nut job website, conspiracy theorist stuff that says Instagram's bad. These are peer-reviewed academic journals. You can go to Google Scholar and type it in social media uh, and depression, and there's an absolute link between the two. During the pandemic, the last two years have been incredibly difficult. Studies tell us that four in 10 adults have reported symptoms of anxiety and depressive disorder. 40% of Americans have admitted they're struggling with depression or anxiety over the last two years. You say, what increases that? Prior to the last two years, one in 10. Think about that for a second. A fourfold increase of depression and anxiety in America in just the last two years. It's a big deal. You say, well, well that's... I guess it could be problematic. No, it's alarming. You think about it. If everybody seated in this room, imagine everybody from this section over is struggling with depression. Every single one of them. All of them. That's a lot. And you say, wow, that's, that's crazy. No, what's crazy is these people are in our church. According to statistics, 40% of the people that are seated here this morning are struggling with depression or anxiety. That's alarming. That's troublesome. 
And so we can't just sweep this under the rug and just hope that it goes away because it doesn't go away unless we're intentional with finding the cause, rooting it out, and finding a solution. Some of the scariest statistics that I read during the pandemic, one in four children have shown signs and symptoms of clinical depression, one in four. That means if we have 60 kids over in Super Church this morning, we got 15 kids over there that are struggling with depression. That's a lot. That hurts my heart. Kids? And again, we, we can't just turn a blind eye to this and act like it doesn't happen. During the last, uh, I'm sorry, during the first six months of the pandemic, emergency room visits for children with mental health emergencies rose by 24% for children ages 5 to 11. 31% of children ages 12 to 17. And there was a 50% increase in suspected suicide attempt emergency visits among girls 12 to 17. Teenage girl suicide attempts rose by 50% in a six-month period. This is scary stuff. Scary. And so again, forgive me because this is not a political statement. I'm not trying to grandstand or anything like that. But please understand that the greatest threat that faces Americans is not a virus that you may or may not recover from in less than 14 days. It's a mental health crisis that will be paying dividends for decades to come. We need to recognize this. It's a problem when my daughter, who's 13 years old, comes home with her yearbook and says, I've never seen these kids in my class faces before because we're always wearing masks, that I eat lunch with the same kids every day and I don't get to see the other kids in my, my class's faces. I don't even know what they look like. It's a problem when kids don't have social interaction with other kids their age but look at a computer screen for distance learning. Those things are setting us up for failure in the future. And again, I don't have all the answers or all the solutions. I'm just saying we need to be wary of the things that are going on. When I have a 13-year-old daughter and I see that teenage girls are going to the hospital for suicide attempts, my ears should perk up and say, hey, something's not right. As a Christian who loves other people, I should be concerned about the kids in my neighborhood or that walk down the street or that live near me, that these folks can find some hope somewhere because people are struggling. So again, we need to be really, really aware of this. One psychologist said it this way, the less you're connected with human beings in a deep, empathetic way, the less you're really getting the benefits of a social interaction. The more superficial it is, the less likely it's going to cause you to feel connected, which is something that we all need. All of us need to be connected. All of us need to feel belonging. All of us need to feel a part of something. And the more superficial it is, the less beneficial it is. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Crazy weather, huh? Yeah superficial we need deep meaningful connections with one another and it's very difficult to find that in the environment that we live in today again when we're required to stand six feet from every other human being on planet earth when we're required to talk through face masks face shields plexiglass shields another face shield another face mask six feet apart from one another, it's difficult to make meaningful connections. Again, I'm not making light of anything. I'm not saying that these things are, are inherently wrong or anything. I'm saying it's difficult to make connections and there's a bigger problem at play here. And again, when our, our government and our politicians make a determination of public health strictly based on case counts, hospitalizations, and deaths, they're ignoring a much larger problem. Do you know the number one cause for death of Americans 18 to 45 in America? Number one by far. Anybody want to guess? Fentanyl. 
You can Google that if you want to. Like, that is a fact, number one cause. Drug overdoses? America? Really? Hmm. Do you think that drug use is somehow tied to mental health? Absolutely. Why, why, is, why is teenage girls going to the hospital after cutting themselves? Why is that not a pandemic? Why is the hundreds of thousands of deaths to do drug overdoses? Why is not, that not an issue? I'm saying there's bigger issues at play here. Mental health is the greatest issue facing Americans and facing the world today. Not some sickness that you may or may not get over in a couple of weeks. We need to focus on big issues and we need to have answers when the time comes. And so today I want to help give you some answers for the things that we're facing. One of the most troubling articles that I've read in a really long time was an article in the Wall Street Journal several weeks ago. And again, mind you, this is not some crackpot website of somebody who wrote something in their mom's basement. This is an article by the Wall Street Journal that was thoroughly investigated. Headline reads, Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls. Company documents show. So of their own research that they did as a company, Facebook, on the Instagram platform, they found, these are their own words from their own internal presentations. 32% of teen girls said that they felt bad about their bodies and Instagram made them feel worse. Comparisons on Instagram can change how young women view and describe themselves. Next slide says this. We make body images issues worse for one in three teen girls. Next slide. Teens blame Instagram for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. Next slide. The conclusion that they came to was that some of the problems were specific to Instagram and not social media more broadly. The features that Instagram identifies as most harmful to teens teens appear to be at the platform's core. And so, bottom line conclusion that they came to, Instagram research manager explained to colleagues, teens told us that they don't like the amount of time they spend on the app, but feel like they have to be present. They often feel addicted and know what they're seeing is bad for their mental health, but feel unable to stop themselves. So you have a group that studies basically the negative effects on the mental health of teen girls. Did you know that they have a separate department that works on the engagement of that exact same demographic to keep them on the app longer and keep them hooked in further? You say, are you saying that they know the product that they have is harmful to teenagers yet they continue to push it anyways? Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't say the Wall Street Journal said it. That's the crazy part about it. This isn't some whack job conservative pastor going, oh, social media is of the devil. It'll ruin your life. Amen? Can I get an amen? <laughs> no, this is them saying, we have a, a product that is toxic for our users and we want to keep them on it. That's problematic. <laughs> so, again, we need to take a look at that overarching issues that are happening in our society that set us up for failure. That's just talking about teen girls. What does it say about single ladies? What does it say about single guys? What does it say about married women who look to, to Instagram for what a marriage should look like? Hashtag couple goals, you know? What does it say about that? It didn't, they didn't even touch on that. Oh, it's bad for teen girls, but it's okay for everybody else. No, my opinion is toxic for everybody. Toxic. When we talk about depression, what are we talking about? Depression, according to the DSM-5, which is the manual for uh, mental health issues, depression is a mental condition characterized by feelings of severe despondency and dejection, typically also 
associated with feelings of inadequacy, guilt, often accompanied by a lack of energy and disturbance of appetite and sleep. It's kind of the borderline uh, baseline definition of depression. Now, when we look at depression, it's important to understand that there's multiple moving parts for this. If you go to a doctor, they're going to address your physical symptoms that you have and try to find a solution for that. If you go to a therapist, they're going to try to talk to you about your emotional issues that you have and deal with that. You come to a pastor, I'm going to talk to you about your spiritual issues because we're a three-part being. We're physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. That means we're super complex. And when we talk about our physical, emotional, spiritual being, there's three parts to us. There's our body, our soul, and our spirit. Your body's the physical part of you. Your, your emotions are your soul or the personality of who you are and the way that you process life and the things that have happened to you and things that have been said to you that make you who you are today. That's your soul. Your spirit is the part of you that connects with your creator, that connects you with God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we're born spiritually dead, but when we meet Christ and we're saved, our spirit becomes alive. And so that's the part of us that connects with God. A spiritual connection. But here's the thing. All of these parts are of, of us are intertwined with one another. It's not neatly compartmentalized. It's a kind of a mishmash of everything. So when we talk about depression, we can't just say, oh, it's a physical issue. We can't just say, it's just a spiritual issue or it's just an emotional issue. It's actually all three. You see, when we talk about depression, it has to be viewed from a biological, psychological, social, and spiritual perspective. You say, well, that sounds complicated. It is. That's why there's no one-size-fits-all solution for depression. Maybe you do need to repent of your sin and focus on Christ. Maybe you need to get on medication. Maybe you need to check yourself into a treatment center for 14 days. There's no one-size-fits-all solution for this, so we've got to dig a little bit deeper. We've got to walk in wisdom the way the Bible commands Think about this for a moment. I'll just use a silly illustration. Imagine one of my goals for the new year is to lose 10 pounds. I'm in a New Year's resolution. Maybe I signed up for a gym. Maybe I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to have kale salad every single day, eat wet grass and make myself, uh, you know, cleanse myself. I'm going to do a juice cleanse. I'm going to try to lose that 10 pounds. And then like Saturday rolls around and I didn't get a chance to cook my chicken breast and my asparagus today. And so... I'm just kind of hungry. I'm tired. I'm burned out. I'm spent. It's Saturday afternoon. I just really just want to eat and go home and go to bed. And so I decide I'm going to go through the drive-thru at Panda Express because orange chicken and a big, huge plate of rice makes everybody feel better, right? And so I'm so hungry. I'm not going to take my food home and eat. I'm going to actually park in the parking lot at Panda Express and I devour that entire gorgeous God-given styrofoam container of (laughs) sugar and salt and everything else. And for a moment, it is glorious. And then I realize, I'm never going to lose weight like this. I'm such a loser. I have no self-control that I can't even wait till I get home. I'm sitting here like a fatty eating my food in Pan Express parking lot. <laughs> and like all these people see this fat guy over his steering wheel going, rah, 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 rah. I'm such a loser. And then like 30 minutes later, my stomach starts to hurt and cramp, and I realize... Panda Express doesn't like me either. It's just like, oh. That was a terrible decision. But you know what? I just make terrible decisions all the time because that's who I am. I made terrible decisions my whole life. That's how I wound up where I'm at. And I'm just 
I'll always be this way. I'm a loser. I'll always be a loser. And you see where this goes? I can try to pray and read my Bible. What good does that do? I'm just going to end up doing the same stupid stuff again. And I don't even know if I should even go to church tomorrow. And guess what? We now see a physical, emotional, spiritual connection to what? Going through the drive-thru? He said, that's crazy talk. I've seen people lose over far less than a, a container of Panda Express before. Why? Because we're so complex. There's no part that's disconnected from another. I've lost my absolute mind over somebody taking my parking spot before. Like lost it, like meltdown lose it. Dude, find another place to park. Is it that big of a deal? Yes, it is. Why? Was it that emotional response? No, it's much deeper than that. It really is. And so if we're such a complex being, we need to look for sometimes complex solutions to our problems. When we talk about major depressive disorder, it's a clinical diagnosis that causes significant distress and impairs functioning. This impacts your life on kind of every level. Major depressive disorder is more than just feeling crummy for a day or two. It's something that is prolonged for an extended period of time. When we talk about major depressive disorder, it basically can be observed by having at least five out of nine symptoms from a list. Deep sadness or emptiness, apathy or loss of interest, weight change, psychomotor retardation, which is the slowing of your movement, sleep disturbance, lack of concentration, lack of energy or fatigue, feeling of worthlessness or guilt, and a preoccupation of death. Having these feelings for more than two weeks that don't go away. Now, I'm going to pause you for just a second and don't start looking at this list going, I gained some weight over Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think I might be depressed. Or, you know, I feel like I want to sleep in all the time. I think I'm probably depressed. Now, this is kind of a guideline to help you to find clarity on what's really going on with you. So don't try to find a problem where you don't have it, right? Like, look, if you go to WebMD and type in symptoms for cancer, you're going to be like, fatigue. You know, it's like, oh, I'm totally tired. I think I have cancer. Don't be that way, right? One of my friends told me this, who's a, a psychologist. She said, uh, there's a big long list, which is, this is the big long list. She said, but I try to boil down depression to two symptoms, hopelessness and anhedonia, which is the inability to feel pleasure. She said, those are usually for people to, easier for people to latch onto and go, yeah, that's where I'm at. Hopelessness and anhedonia or the inability to feel p- pleasure. The word anhedonia, and meaning lack of or absence of. Hedonia comes from the word hedonism, which means the, the search for pleasure. And so anhedonia is the inability to feel pleasure. It's like, hey, I used to love going to the beach, but it just doesn't do anything for me anymore. I used to feel invigorated by going to the gym, but like now I hate it. I used to enjoy spending time with friends, but it's just like it just is what it is in a series of hopelessness. Now, we as Christians should look at this list here and say, my hope is found in Christ. My joy is found in Christ. (laughs) Oh, that life were that simple, huh? Just focus on Jesus. Just find your joy in Him. That's very difficult to say when you struggle to make it out of bed in the morning. It's tough. So again, there has to be a little bit more to it than that, and there is. But for us as Christians, at the end of the day, our focus is going to have to come back to Christ. When we talk about depression, depression is not always directly connected with our circumstances. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And that's the weird thing about our emotions is it plays tricks on us, right? You can understand, like somebody goes through a major health trial struggling with depression, You can understand somebody who just lost their job, having depression, someone who lost a family member, struggling with depression. 
How many moms, you give birth to this beautiful baby that you hold in your arms that you love more than life itself, but you're sad and you don't know why. I should be happy right now. I mean, I had a child with my spouse and it's a gift from God, but it just doesn't feel good. And then you begin to say, what's wrong with me? I should be happy, but I'm not. I got the promotion at work, but like that didn't, that didn't move the needle for me. It didn't do anything for me. Like, I don't, maybe something's wrong with me because everything in my life is going okay, but I can't seem to find any joy in anything. And then you begin to say, oh, there's something wrong with me then. But depression is not always directly connected to your circumstances in life. It may or may not be. And while depression is a common experience, there isn't necessarily a common cause. Again, we take a look at something like obesity. Eat less, exercise more. Now, can people have medical conditions and thyroid conditions and stuff like that? Yeah, those are usually outliers. But if you want to lose weight, you eat less, exercise more. That's just kind of the, the root cause and a solution for it. Depression is not that simple. It's not a matter of like, oh, you got this wrong, so let's do this instead. It could be a, a number of things that cause your depression. It could be a neurobiological issue or a genetic predisposition. Studies have shown that this is a hereditary thing of people that struggle with certain types of mental illness. You might be more predisposed to it than another person. It might be some type of chronic stress in your life that you can't seem to get out from underneath. It may be a traumatic experience or some type of trauma that happened to you that causes you to be in depression. It might be some type of adverse childhood experience. If you want to, uh, to just absolutely have your mind blown, watch a TED Talk on adverse childhood experiences. Absolutely fascinating. We're having a, a parenting seminar in April uh, here at our church, and, and one of our, our folks in our church that's a psychologist is going to talk to us about adverse childhood experiences and how to set our children up for success, not failure in life. Maybe something happened to you as a kid that set you up for this that was outside of your realms of, of control. Maybe it's sinful thoughts or sinful actions. For me as a pastor, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm struggling, first question I ask is there any sin in your life that you're hanging on to that you haven't made right that needs to be confessed and forsaken? Because again, I'm looking from a spiritual perspective. I can't talk to you about your neurobiological things that you got going on or some type of hormone imbalance. That's not my, my wheelhouse. Hey, how's your walk with God? Is there any sin in your life that you need to confess? And let me just tell you as a Christian, you will never find peace in your life when you are living in opposition to the word of God. It just doesn't exist. You cannot sin against God and have the peace that comes from God at the same time. And so for Christians, I always tell you, first place to look, how is my walk with God? How is my obedience to the word? Because I cannot live in sin and have the peace of God at the same time they're exclusive of one another. Maybe that's an issue, maybe it's not. Depression may not have a spiritual cause, but it's a deeply spiritual issue. Maybe you're suffering and maybe your depression isn't caused by a spiritual cause, but it doesn't change your, it will change your, and affect your relationship with God. I think of, interesting to note, the word depression is never found in the Bible. And so we think, well, and again, I've heard preachers say a lot of really foolish things when it comes to this. Well, you don't find depression in the Bible. Nobody struggles with depression right now. It's just because you're focusing on yourself and not on Jesus. If you read through the Psalms, you cannot convince me that David was not depressed at times. You just can't. If you read through the Psalms, you would have a hard time convincing me that David wasn't bipolar at times. Because one moment he's like, he's like, God, you've forgotten me. God, you hate me. God, have you forgotten to be good? 
but I know that you'll deliver me because I know that you're always faithful. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You just got through saying that God forgets to be good. Like, dude, like, pick a side, right? He vacillates a lot. Why? I believe, not a doctor, not a therapist, and some people might, might hate me for saying this. I believe David struggled with mental illness issues, depression, anxiety. And you can't convince me otherwise if you read the Psalms. And so then again, we need to understand then, guess what? This isn't a, quote, problem. Maybe it's just part of life. David says in uh, Psalm uh, 42, verse number five, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted me? Hope thou in God, for yet I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. David's got a self-talk going on. David's like, what's wrong with you, man? Get it together. Why are you so down? Why are you so frustrated? Hope in God, man. Get it together. And so he's talking to himself in a spiritual perspective, but he's really on the search for what's really wrong because he doesn't know. So depression and all suffering at the end of the day brings us face to face with spiritual realities that are absolutely critical in our lives. All suffering is meant to bring us face to face with the critical realities of you're not in charge, you're not the boss. If you're a child of God, where are you going to run? Who are you going to trust in this time? Where are you going to get help? Where are you going to find hope? All of that will be answered by the way that you process through this difficult time in your life. It's important to understand that if you get nothing out of today's message other than what Jesus Christ has done for you, I want you to get this message here. It's okay to be depressed, but you cannot live there. Okay? Some of you think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm going through depression. I'm a broken human being. You're not broken. You're just in a rough spot right now, but we got to figure out a, a way out of this. Oh, I'm a terrible human being. You're a wretched sinner, but if you're a child of God, you're saved by the grace of God, and you have the tools that you need to make it out of this. We can't live here any longer. You got too much riding on this to just set up camp here. And so when we think of depression... And the feelings that we have of sadness, it's important to understand feelings aren't necessarily sinful, but the way that we process through our feelings may or may not be sinful. When we think about that, think about like anger. It's not a sin to be angry, but it's a sin to have my anger turn to hate. That's a problem. The Bible even says be angry and sin not. So anger itself is not a sin. How I process my anger is a sin. Look, if I get angry, that's okay. If I allow my anger to spill over onto other people and treat them unkindly or unfairly or say something unkind or something that isn't spirit-filled, that becomes a problem now. My problem wasn't the anger. The problem was how I processed through it. It's It's not a sin to feel sad. It's a sin to allow your sadness to become your identity. It's a, it's a sin to allow my, who, my failures to become my identity. So many times I've talked to people, they say, oh, I'll just always be that kid who was abused by my mom. No, you will not. You'll be a new creature in Christ the day you decide to believe the Bible. I'll always be that person who just struggles with chronic depression. No, you will not. You will be a child of God who struggles with life but it's found hope in Jesus Christ the day you believe, start believing the Bible. And so many times we find comfort in allowing our failures to be our identity. 
And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people use an excuse. Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I didn't have a Christian father and I just didn't have all the things that you have. Hey, you're a new creature in Christ. You're a child of the king now. Excuse time is over. Now it's time to obey the Bible. And look, if you need help growing in your walk because you didn't have a good example, I got you. You need to see what a Christian father looks like. I got men that I can hook you up with that will help you walk through that with them. You don't know what it means to be a woman of God? I'll show you by partnering you up with a woman of God in our church that will help you walk the walk that God intended you to. But excuse time is over. Finding our identity and our sadness or our brokenness or our sinfulness, that's just not how Christians live. And so emotions are part of who we are. Emotions are part of how God created us. But the fact of the matter is, is oftentimes Christians lose hope. Again, this series that we're taking a look at, a hope from the Bible. The Bible speaks much of hope because why? Christians lose hope so easily. God continues to point us back. Hey, you've got a hope here. Hey, hope in the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. Paul, when you find him struggling, he's saying, but my hope is in the Lord. David, when he struggles, hey, I got to look and find where my hope and my help comes from. It comes from the Lord. The writer of Hebrews, where our theme verse comes from, say, we have a hope which is an anchor for our soul. It is sure and it is steadfast in the person of Jesus Christ. You can hang on to this hope and it will stand the test of time. But oftentimes Christians lose hope. Sometimes Christians feel so badly that they just want to die. Sometimes Christians come to the point where they say, there's nothing left. There's no hope to be had. And that feels so alone when you find yourself there, doesn't it? Like nobody else understands this. Nobody else has ever experienced this. Do you know people in the Bible felt it? You think of Elijah. Elijah just had a mountaintop experience. He called down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal were slaughtered. And what did he do? He ran. He found himself by the river, and he told God, God, would you just kill me because I'm done with this. I'm over. There's no hope for me. And God says, no, you're not done yet. Take a nap. He had Uber Eats drop some food for him. And he said, get up because I got help for you right around the corner. You take Jonah. Jonah, after he went and did what God told him to do, was mad that God saved people. He went and sat under a fig tree, and he was just like, God, I don't even want to wake up tomorrow. Like, if, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I ain't going to be mad about it. And God says, you're going to wake up tomorrow because I'm not done with you yet. We see Paul, when he said that we'd gone through difficult times where we despaired even for life. Like, we didn't even think we were going to live and make it through that. We find other people in the Bible, Solomon, you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, look, I got everything that there would be to have in life, and I'm still empty. And life itself, life is worthless. Life is useless. Like if there's been a party, I've had it. If there were dancers, I had them. If there were singers, I had them. If I wanted to have a pool party, I built a pool and then threw a party. I wanted food. We had the best food that money could buy. We got gold. I don't know what to do with all the gold I got, but I found out that life is meaningless, that all of this means nothing. And he says, what, you worked your whole life? 
to die and then pass your stuff on to another person? What kind of life is that? Says the wisest man to ever live. Think about that. So when you get to the point where you realize, hey, none of this is worth it anymore. You're not alone. The Bible tells us people felt like that. Ask around with other Christians. I'm not going to ask anybody to show their hands today, but if I ask, hey, how many of you ever got to a point in your life where you thought you were sunk, you were done, it was over, it was done with, the world would be better off without you, raise your hand. I think we have quite a few people that raise their hand today who found themselves in a place where all hope was lost. But we need to remember that suicide is a permanent permanent solution for a temporary situation. Whatever you're going through right now, it's not going to last. You'll get over it. I promise you will. Even the children of Israel, as they ride here in lamentations, find themselves in captivity in Babylon. They didn't stay there forever. Whatever you're going through will get better. And whatever decision you make in this moment to take your own life is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. People who survive suicide attempts after they're interviewed typically report having an overwhelming sense of helplessness, hopelessness, and worthlessness. Think about that. Helpless, hopeless, worthless. And many times, people admit that they did not want to die. They just wanted the pain to stop. It was just so intense in that moment. It was so overwhelming, the feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness, that in that moment there was such intense pain that I just want this to be over because I cannot bear it. They didn't really want to die. They didn't want to hurt anybody else. They should know what else to do. And so for us as Christians, we need to come back when we come to those places. My help doesn't come from me. My help doesn't come from my boss. My help doesn't come from my friends, my spouse, my family. My help comes from the Lord. My hope is not in what I see, what I've experienced. My hope is not in the people around me. My hope is in the Lord. My worth is not determined on where I'm at in my life right now or what experiences I've had or how much money I have in the bank or anything else. My worth is found in Christ. God paid the highest price for my soul, his own son. My worth is in Christ. My hope is in Christ. My help is in Christ, not in myself. In 2020, which is the most recent statistics that that we have for suicide, suicides in America actually went down in 2020 by 3%. But at the same time, the military reported a 16% increase in service member suicide, active duty personnel. This should send alarm bells off for every single person in this church because we serve in a city that serves the finest folks in the world's finest militaries here. And if there are service members in our city that are hurting, we need to be a a voice of hope in their lives. And so again, you might be listening to today's message going, oh, that's not really me. Take really good notes because somebody that you know and are close to is hurting and they need hope and encouragement. This is alarming. Think about this for a second. Military veterans are at a 50% higher risk of suicide than their peers who have not served. 18 veterans take their own life every single day and account for four 
15% of suicides in America. That breaks my heart that the kid who's getting ready to graduate high school who went down to MEPS and put up his right hand and swore to defend the Constitution of America against all enemies foreign and domestic automatically places himself at a 50% higher risk of suicide just by raising his right hand. That's troublesome. What can we do? How can we be a source of hope? How can we help these people? How can we be aware and be on the lookout for these people who are hurting so deeply? When we think about suicide, suicide doesn't end the suffering for the people around you. It only takes it to a new level that never leaves Nobody's ever said, I'm so glad it's Thanksgiving and dad's not here this year. Well, what a relief. Said no one ever. Oh, wow, I'm so glad Sally's not here. She was such a burden to begin with. Said no one ever. Oh, I'm so glad that person's not at our church anymore. What a relief to have them gone. Said no one ever. Oh, no, it only takes that suffering to a different level that never leaves. One of the best friends I've ever had in my life was an assistant pastor at the church I had the opportunity to serve at in California. And uh, he and I, uh, on our own volition, nobody assigned us or told us to do it, uh, we decided every single morning before we went to work, we would gather together. We, worked, we started work at 8. We gathered together every, every morning at 7 a.m. to pray for an hour, he and I. And we did it for probably 18 months, two years. And he became one of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. I mean, one of the most f- funniest guy I've ever met to this day. Funniest guy in the world. And we, we got a really deep bond. He had five beautiful children, had a wife who was a Christian school teacher there, and uh, we, we just became super-duper close, like the best of friends. Going out to lunch all the time, we go out on outreach together. He and I led people to Christ. Uh, he taught a single adults class. We taught a single adults class. We'd have events together and stuff like that. I mean, just brother in Christ. One day he had a Bible, which was uh, a really nice uh, Thomas Nelson Bible. It was a calfskin Bible, which was super soft on the outside, and it was a thin line Bible, so it was easy to carry or throw in a backpack or something like that. And I said, ooh, let's see your Bible. And I looked at it, I go, man, this is really cool. I said, um, I said, where'd you get this? And he said, well, they don't make them anymore. It was a limited edition. And I said, oh, man, maybe I can find one on eBay or something like that that's used. And he was like, just take mine. Man, I ain't gonna take your Bible. Like, you can't just, like, take another man's Bible. He goes, no, I want you to have it. And so I took it back, and I look at it, and I open it up, and the, the first page where you put your name in there actually had his name in there. I go, dude, it's got your name in it. <laughs> he took the Bible, he rips out the page, and he hands it to me. He goes, here, it's yours now. Wow, okay. Like, best friend ever. When we uh, began raising money to, to, to plant Wikala, the house that we had in, in California, he was actually the, um, the, the property manager for our, our house until we sold it. And like, like anything went wrong, he was the guy to handle it. He had, ac- I mean, had access to our bank account, everything. I'm like, friend, friend. Had shoulder surgery. We gave him uh, narcotic opiates to take for pain medication. Got hooked on pain pills. Left his wife, left his five kids. Got hooked on drugs. One night, dispute with another guy over drugs. Shot him, killed him. And then he drove to his parents' house in his parents' driveway and took his own life. That was seven years ago. It still hurts. It didn't go away. It only intensifies. 
about three months ago, I saw his oldest son, who's now 23. He's married. He's a youth pastor at a church. I said, your dad would be so proud of you. He loved you so much. I remember hours on my knees in your dad's office praying for you and your brothers and sisters. He'd be so proud of you right now. Sometimes I'll be in an airport and I'll look across and I'll think I see the back of his head. I think it's him, but it's not. Sometimes I'll hear somebody tell a joke that he used to tell and it's not funny anymore. Sometimes I'll take that Bible and I'll open it up and in the book of James over in the margin is some notes that he wrote there. The pain never goes away. It just went to a new level and then I began to think like, was I a terrible friend that I didn't reach out? What could I have done differently? How could I have changed that? What did I do wrong? And then it begins to put your burden that you had on everybody else and their, their burden never gets lifted. You need to remember that suicide always creates more pain than it alleviates by far, by an exponential number. And I want you as a Christian today to make a decision. As bad as life may ever get, and as dark as the night might ever get, and as little hope as I could possibly ever find anywhere, this is not an option ever under any circumstances whatsoever. I need you to come to that point today where you say, before God, I won't do it. I told my wife, if you ever find me dead with a suicide note, please call the cops and report a homicide. It wasn't me. It wasn't. Because I made a decision. I love my wife too much to do that to her. I love my kids too much to do that to them. I love my church family. I love you guys too much to ever put you through that. And I love Jesus too much to ever hurt his name like that. Just 100% off the table. Things will get tough, and they have. Things will be hopeless, and they have been. But that's just like not even in the list of options that I'll ever have, ever. And I want you to come to that same place as well. That like as bad as things get, that's just not an option. What does the Bible say about suicide? First of all, the Bible says that any type of murder is a sin, period, end of story. So it would be disobedience to God to take your own life, for sure. Secondly, it's a presumption upon God's sovereignty that you have the ability to take life. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the Lord. That God created, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You don't have the right to do that, and you're taking power out of God's hand. Thirdly, you're mispresuming that God's grace will not be sufficient for you, that God doesn't have what it takes to take you through this circumstance, that God is not powerful enough to bring you through the struggle that you're in. So we can say that on firm biblical ground that it's definitely 100% a sin to take your own life. So then the question comes, well, does somebody go to hell if they commit suicide? According to Catholicism, Suicide is a mortal sin, and any mortal sin that's not confessed and gone through the process of absolution by the church would take you to hell. So according to Catholics, if somebody takes their own life, they're going to hell. But we are not Catholics. We are Bible-believing Christians. And the Word of God said that there's no sin that you and I that can commit that is not strong enough to be overcome by the grace of God. And so we can say today, there's no sin that will ever separate us from the grace of God. I believe 100% certainty that my friend is in heaven today. I believe that when he stood face to face to God, he had some things that he needed to answer for. But I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's in heaven. 
I told this son when I saw him this past October, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to punch your dad in the gut as hard as I can. <laughs> and then I'm going to give him a hug and tell him what a difference he made in my life. What an impact he made. And he said, yeah, me too. Good. Because here's the thing. You and I, if, if we could possibly sin against God to a certain degree to remove God's, our name from the book of life, don't you think that would be important to put in the Bible? And again, salvation for any person rests in the finished work of Christ on the cross, not from abstaining from sinful acts. Going to heaven isn't because you were a good person or because you didn't do this one particular sin. It's based on the grace of God through the blood of Christ on the cross. That's what saved you. That's what keeps you. Not, not doing really big sins. And the Bible doesn't put sins in different categories of mortal or venial or serious or non-serious. Sin is sin and all sin is overcome by the cross of Christ. That's where we find our hope. So how do Christians deal with depression? I think that's a question we should ask ourselves. Okay, how do we fix it? We realize that maybe the source of it may be unsure. We realize that suicide, 100% off the table, never going to go there, never going to look there, never going to talk about it, not going to deal with that. How do we deal with it then? First and foremost, focus on Jesus. Let me see. Well, that's it? No, that's not it. Again, we're taking a multifaceted look at this. But as Christians from a spiritual perspective, we're going to focus on Christ. Psalm 17, verse number 7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand, which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. John Piper, who's a former pastor and author, said, rivet your attention to Christ. Faith is sustained by looking at Christ, crucified, risen, not from turning from Christ to analyze your faith. Another author also said, sometimes you have to force feed yourself. You aren't hungry, you don't want to eat, but you must. Now's the time to force feed because your spiritual health depends on it. I don't feel like reading my Bible. Read it anyways. I don't feel like I get anything out of the Psalms. Read them anyways. I don't really want to go to church. Go anyways. I don't want to go to my small group this week. Go anyways. I don't want to share what I'm going through. Share anyways. To get through this, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. And sometimes you're just going to have to do what you need to do because it's the right thing to do. Focusing on Christ, spending time in his word, singing praises to God on your own time worshiping God on your own time, you just got to do it. There's no way around it. Put your attention on Christ. Remember, what you're feeling will get better. That moment where things were so dark, where you didn't think that you were going to make it, where you thought all hope was lost. Look at you now. You made it. You say, well, I haven't made it through yet. You will. I promise. Those dark nights didn't last forever. That's why, again, in the Lamentations, your mercies are new every morning. Nighttime comes and it's dark. But morning's always coming and the sun always shines. So what you're feeling will get better. Hang in there. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. You got to remember, though, it's a process. This will not fix itself overnight because you did not get in this mess overnight. It will take time. You just have to commit to the process. Don't give up. 
Don't quit. Don't eject too early. You got to commit to the process. You got to commit to walking. You say, well, I don't see any difference. Keep going anyways. <laughs> the guy that needs to lose weight, he went and got on the treadmill one time for 10 minutes and he didn't see a difference. <laughs> Keep going every day. Make it 15 minutes tomorrow. Pay attention to what you're eating. Process, right? Mental health and well-being is a process that we have to walk through. It's important to understand, too, that the goal is not to stop feeling, but to embrace and process our feelings. You see, the problem with the approach that mental health is strictly a medical issue is we're going to give you a pill so that you don't feel this way anymore. You tell your doctor, I feel sad. Here's some medication. Take one of these every day, and you won't be sad anymore. Well, nobody asked me why I'm sad. Nobody asks you what's going on in my life. Nobody asks you what I need to process through. Maybe feeling sad is part of the healing process that I need to go through. Again, there's so many moving parts here. We can't just say it's a one size fits all. Maybe it is the right thing for you to take medication. I can't say that. But I'm saying the goal isn't to stop feeling. Feeling's what makes you a human being. Unfortunately, I've seen people who take medication that they just stop feeling. They don't feel sad, but they don't feel happy either. They don't get angry, but they also don't feel joy. If they're standing there at the birth of their own child, and they're just like, eh, another mouth to feed, here we go. Because, well, at least I'm not sad, but you don't get to enjoy life either. So the goal isn't to stop feeling. The question is, why am I sad? Why am I angry? Why am I frustrated? Why am I anxious all the time? What can I do to fix that? How do I process this? How do I feel my sadness and connect my sadness to the word of God to find the healing that my soul desires? Not what's something that can shut off some receptors in my brain so I don't feel anything. No, your emotions are a gift from God to allow you to experience life more fully. And sometimes you gotta feel it to heal it. One author said this, Jesus Christ did not come to take away our pain and suffering, but to share in it. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows pain. Jesus knows suffering. Jesus knows being stabbed in the back by people that he treated. Jesus knows people lying about him, maligning him, seeking to hurt him to do him in. He knows all about that. And he can share in your suffering. And so again, part of the process is feeling what you're feeling. So then the question comes, well, is it a sin for a Christian to take medication for depression? I think we need to answer that because again, there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with that sometimes in Christian circles. Well, don't let nobody know that you're taking antidepressants and they don't think that you don't have any faith. Don't let anybody know that you're actually taking medication. That, that might affect the way that they view you, you know? Can somebody even work in children's ministry if they're on antidepressants? Like, don't tell anybody that. Hmm. Then there becomes a stigma associated with it, right? Well, what is the biblical idea behind this? First of all, it's not a sin to take medication that will allow you the clarity to fix your focus on Jesus. Again, as Christians, we got to come back to the answer for healing is Jesus. Okay? 
And if you are so scatterbrained, so deep in a hole that you can't even fix your eyes upon Christ, maybe there's something that you could take for a short period of time that will allow you to level out to be able to focus on Christ and his promises. And you know what? That's okay. Sometimes we need that. Hey, you got a headache? What do you do? For me, honestly, what do I do? I drink a lot of water first. If I haven't eaten in a while, I eat something. I wait a little bit. And then what do I do? Find some Tylenol and take it. Right? But look, every time, you know, my pinky toe hurts, I don't go grab a bottle of Tylenol and take four. If you're in the military, it's 800 milligrams of Motrin fixes everything, right? (laughs) But again, here's the important thing to note when it comes to medication. The cure for hopelessness is hope, and Jesus should always be your first option, not the last. If you're hopeless and don't have the ability to feel pleasure, you shouldn't run first to medication. You should run first to Jesus. He's your first option, not the last. Well, I've talked to all the therapists. I've taken all this medication. I've done all these things, and maybe I'll try Jesus. No, 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 no. My hope is in Christ, first and foremost. And Christ might give me other things that can help me, a good therapist, a good medication regimen, or something like that to help me to focus on Christ. But at the end of the day, my focus, my hope is in Christ, not my doctors or some schedule of pills I'm supposed to take. So medication versus no medication. Author Edward Welch, which at the end of the notes here, I got a a book that's outstanding by him. He's a Christian psychologist. It's unclear whether medication is any more helpful than counseling. In other words, the jury's still out and the studies vary. And it's unclear whether counseling is any better overall than talking with a wise friend. Even in cases of severe depression, careful analysis of the evidence does not always demonstrate the superior effectiveness of medication over secular counseling. You expect at least similar results when you allow scripture to guide you. So he says, the jury's out. It may work for you. It may not. Some people, the counselor is better than medication. Some people talking to a wise, godly friend is better than talking to a counselor. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. It may work for you, it may not. But at the end of the day, it is a sin to put my whole hope and lasting trust in anything other than Christ. That's not for depression, that's for life. Because when my whole hope is in something other than Christ, I've created an idol. Well, I would just be happy in life if I could just get married. That would fix all of my life's problems. No, that makes marriage an idol. Well, if God would just allow us to have our own children, that would be, that would be everything for us in life. No, Christ is everything in life. You're making children an idol. If I could just get on this medication, I know for a fact all my problems would be over. Then your hope isn't in Christ. Your hope is in some pharmaceutical company somewhere. And it becomes idolatry. Now, My hope is in Christ, but I need some help. Hey, that's fine. No sweat. But my hope is in Christ. And so again, we got to make sure that our heart is right before God. And the search for joy and happiness and hope in any place other than Christ will lead to disappointment. And so again, so many times people are like, oh, I just got to find the right pill that works for me and everything will fall into place. No, you need to find Christ and everything will fall into place. Oh, I just need to find the right girl for me and then everything will fall into place. No, you need to find Christ and then everything falls into place. Oh, if I could just get married, get the right job. No, find Christ, everything falls into place. Looking for hope apart from him will lead to disappointment every time. And here's a fact. 
You cannot medicate away the problems of life. Look, if your marriage is a wreck and you take a pill, your marriage is still a wreck. You might not feel it anymore, but you didn't fix anything. You're just masking the symptoms. And again, if you know anything about medicine and science, you'll know that pain in the body is an indication that something's not right. It's actually a gift. Did you know that? When you hurt, it's your body's way of telling you something's not right. Let's fix the underlying issue. The problem isn't just to make the pain go away. And you can't medicate away the problems of life. If you're sad because you bought into a lifestyle that didn't bring fulfillment, taking a pill doesn't make that pain go away. It just masks the symptoms. We're looking for root solutions to the root problems that we have. And Christ is always the solution for that. So again, if you're taking medication to help you level yourself out so you can focus on Christ, I'm 100% for you. I'm with you. Keep it up. If your hope is in that bottle of pills that you have, and once that bottle of pills runs out, you have no more hope, then we've got an issue. And if your only solution for finding hope in life is to take six pills a day, you need to find a new source of hope. That might include six pills a day, but you've got to find a source of hope. Does that make sense? And again, none of that was medical advice. I'm not telling you to do what you do. Talk to your, your doctor. And again, if you know anything about antidepressants, you can't just stop them cold turkey because, like, oh, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to flush it. No, you need to talk to your doctor and make a plan that way. I'm not your doctor. I'm just telling you, look to Christ because so many times Christians miss that step. I want you to remember, too, that help is nearby. You are not alone. In 1984, there was a man by the name of Edward Shifflin who studied a primitive tribe in, in Papua New Guinea, and he found the absence of despair, hopelessness, depression, and suicide. This group of tribe that doesn't know anything about depression, that doesn't know anything about suicide, that doesn't know anything about being sad and hopelessness, and what he found was that it mirrored very closely a study that had been done of the Amish as well, that what they found was a sense of community and a sense of belonging kept Hope alive. Hmm. Imagine that. Well, where could one find such a community of people who would help keep hope alive? Thankfully, God gave us the local church. And look, the people that are sitting to the left and right of you today are not perfect people. But they're willing to love you. They're willing to encourage you and be there for you. And they're asking you to be there for them as well. And I think that's fair. We can do that. Why? Because we're not bound together by what area of the country we live in or what city we're from. We're not bound together by our backgrounds or our social economic status or some demographic. We're bound together by Christ, the source of hope. And so for you and I, we get to be a part of a thriving community of people that are looking out for one another, and you need to be surrounded by a loving, caring, committed group of Christians. That's what you need. It's what everyone needs. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens, 
You fulfill the law of Christ. You need to remember that you are not alone. I know you may feel like it. I know you may feel isolated. I know you may feel like you're the only one on the planet that feels this way, but you are not alone. You have God as your father. You have Christ as your brother. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have all the promises of God's word. You have a pastor that loves you and prays for you. You have a church family who's willing to be there for you. You are not alone. And if you feel alone, it's just a lie of the devil. And God has given you every single tool in your toolbox to make it through what you're going through or what you will go through. You don't have to give up hope. You got this. I promise you. I give you my word. I will love you, pray for you, and walk, you, walk with you through anything that you're going through. Let me just tell you this right now. One of my biggest pet peeves as a pastor is when people say, well, I was going to tell you about that, but I know that you're really busy. What? Like, I have given my life to guiding you, shepherding you into spiritual fruitfulness. This is what I do. This is what I thrive on. And you might say, like, oh, well, I know you're really busy. It might take me a day to get back to you on your email. It might take me a week if it's not really important. If you've got some song that you want to sing in church, it might take me a month to get back to you, okay? <laughs> Look, but if you tell me that you need help, help's there. We got you. I might not be able to go personally, but I'll find another man or another woman that will be there for you lickety-split when you're in trouble. Look, I've sat with people at the emergency room when they feel like they're going to take their own life. I've done that before. I've sat at the psych ward at Queens before with someone who tried to jump out of a hotel window to take their own life. I sat there with them and prayed with them. I've done that before. I got no problem doing it again. My wife has gone to substance abuse meetings with people before and sat with them while they talked about their feelings of hopelessness and helplessness because they're addicted to drugs and alcohol. We've done that before. We got you. You're not alone. And if you feel alone, it's a lie of the devil. You might say, well, this isn't really my church. Then make it your church. Seriously, if it's not in your church home, start today. This is an easy family to break into. I promise you that. You don't have to do nothing but just show up, put a smile on your face, and be nice. And if you do that, welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. We'll help you through this, but you're not alone. You can't give up. You need to remember that God's just just not the God of the victory, but God's the God of the process as well. You see, we get this idea that life is a marathon and we're running by ourselves, and at the finish line, God's going to be there for us like, hey, great job. Way to go, buddy. High five us at the finish line. No, no, no. He's there every single mile with you along the process. He's always by your side. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's given you his Holy Spirit which the Greek word for there is parakletos or paraclete, which is the one who walks beside. That's what the spirit is. Like God's not just the God of the victory. God's the God of the process. God's not the God of the mountaintop. God's the God of the valley. Like, like he never left you and never will. You are not alone through this. But you need to remember that hope is a skill that takes practice. You want to be good at hope? Practice it. Wake up tomorrow, spend time in the Word of God and find a source of hope. Put a pin in it. Stick with it. Stay after it. But you've got to continue to do that. You have to practice your faith. You need to remember that joy in Jesus and lasting hope requires a commitment to renewing your mind and trusting in the promises of God that He's walking with you and through the darkness. Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way that you think. Stop getting your ideas for life from Instagram and the internet and your social media feed. It's damaging you. Stop it. Change your mind. Renew your mind to be in line with what the Bible says. Allow the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. It's fine. You can leave them. I'm supposed to wear them, but I don't. Let God's word change you from the inside out. Change your mind. Renew your mind to be in line with the promises of God's word. Author Ed Welch says, there's no verse, pill, or possession that will make hope magically appear. Reciting the Psalms that you've claimed as your own is part of that process. <laughs> Spend time in the Psalms. You'll help yourself, I guarantee you. You'll find somebody who feels exactly like you feel. If you're having a good day, you'll find yourself in the Psalms. If you're having a bad day, you'll find yourself in the Psalms. If you feel like all hope is lost, Psalms is your jam. Like, it's where you need to be. And again, you've got to focus on the things that are true. Philippians 4.8, what sort of things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. Think on those things. Think about this. You're created by God. You're loved by God. You're accepted by God. You're forgiven by God. You're approved by God. And you're transformed by God. Again, we get this idea sometimes, oh, God's mad at me. God hates my guts. God doesn't want anything to do with me. Lies, 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 lies. I'm all alone. Nobody cares about me. Lies, more lies. I'll never get past this. That's a lie. I'll always be this way. That's a lie. Things will never get better. That's a lie. I need to focus on the things that are true. With God's help, I'll get through this. With God's help, there is hope. With God's help, and the help of God's people, and the promises of God's word, and his spirit alive inside of me, there's nothing that I cannot make it through. Nothing. I got this. Final thoughts are really super practical here. How are ways that you can help somebody else? If 40% of people in America are struggling with depression, and we just take that number and apply it to our church as well, 40% of our people in our church are struggling with depression, how do we help? First of all, listen to them and validate their feelings. This is really, really important. Talk to me about how you're doing. Oh, I'm fine. No, tell me how you're really doing. Are you doing okay? I'm worried about you. Something seems a little bit different with you. I can't really put my finger on it, but are you doing all right? It's okay to tell me if you're not. And then validate their feelings. Wow, I can imagine how hard that must be. I've never gone through anything like that, and I, I don't know what I would do if I was in your situation. That sounds really tough. How does that make you feel? Wow. It's really hard to hear this. I'm sorry, this is happening to you. That's all validation. One of the most harmful things that you can do in this moment is invalidate someone's feelings. Oh my goodness, are you seriously complaining about this again? I mean, look at everything you've got. I mean, you got a great job, you got a great car, you live in Hawaii. I mean, like, really, is your life that bad? What did you just do? You just invalidated how they feel. You think they're going to be vulnerable with you? You think they're going to be open with you? No, you just shut them down and told them their feelings aren't real. And look, even if the things that they're feeling aren't true, man, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I just feel like I have no hope left. I have been there before. I got you. I've been there. I get it. I've never gone through this before, but I can imagine how that might feel. 
I know that's not a lot of help right now. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what to say to that, except I'm sorry, and I will pray for you. Listen to their feelings, validate them. Next, ask them if they've thought of hurting themselves, and if they have, offer to get help with them. There was a myth that was going around in the 80s that was this, if you ask someone if they thought about suicide, that puts a thought in their head, and then they're actually going to do it. So don't ever ask anybody that. That has actually been found to be a myth and patently, completely, totally false. You don't plant ideas in people's heads like that. Have, have you thought of hurting yourself through this? If you have, I get it. <laughs> if you have, I've been there before, but I'm telling you, you, you can't live there. That's not an option. That's not, not real. You can't do that. If you thought about it, I'm willing, with, willing to go with you to get help. I've taken the guy to the emergency room, sat with him before at, at Queens. Hey, this guy has suicidal ideations. Can we help him? And sometimes it was just sitting and talking with him for an hour and praying, sometimes with him, sometimes apart from him. A couple hours later, he's just like, okay, I was just in a bad spot. That was dumb. Yeah, now we've got to fill out 10 million reams of paperwork to get you out of here because of the things that you said, right? But that's fine. I got all night. I'm with you through this. Because if you thought about hurting yourself, that's not an option. If you need to get help, I'm willing to go with you to get the help that you need. But don't just blow it off and act like it's not a real thing. Next, pray for that person and then circle back with them and see how they're doing. One of the most hurtful things would be for someone to open up, be vulnerable with you, tell you that they're struggling with depression, they don't know what to do, they're really scared, they thought about hurting themselves, and then you never bring it up again. Then the person thinks like, should I not have said that? Like, do they think I'm weird now? They seem kind of distant since then. They haven't texted me a lot. They had a bunch of people over to their house the other night for dinner and I didn't get invited. Was it because of what I said? And then guess what? You've compounded the problem. Because they opened up to you and were vulnerable and you basically said, oh, that's nice. And you patted them on the head and you walked away like, wow, I don't want any part of that. No, no, no. Circle back. I had a friend uh, a few weeks ago tell me that they were struggling with depression. And they thought about taking their own life several months ago, but they decided against it and they weren't there anymore, but they were still struggling in, in depression and still struggling with their mental health. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. Tell me about why, and we talked about it for a while. And then I said, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And we prayed on the phone, and then next day I texted him back, and he said, hey, how are things going today? How's your walk with the Lord today? Did you spend time in the Word today? Hey, I'm praying for you. My wife's praying for you. hope you're doing well. And they texted back and told me how they were doing. And about three days later, I said, hey, I'm sending you a daily devotional in the mail that I think will help you with what you're struggling with. I want you to read it, and the next time we talk, we're going to discuss what you've gotten out of it. I said, oh, thanks. Then I got a notice from Amazon that it got delivered. I said, hey, it looks like it got delivered. Make sure you start it tomorrow morning. I'm going to check in on you and see how you're doing. And then about three or four days later, I said, hey, I'm praying for you. Let's get together on Thursday and talk and see how things are going. You go, wow, that's a lot of follow-up. I don't know that I can, can do that. You know what I did? I set reminders on my phone. <laughs> my phone dings. Ding. Oh, I'm going to text that person. Ding. Check in with the other. Ding. I'm not smart enough to keep track of everybody and what's going on with them. I have to set myself reminders. You know why? Because it's important. Somebody told me that they're struggling. I want to help. 
can't say that I'm a friend and turn a blind eye to someone's suffering. I just can't do it. Finally, point them to resources that will help them. Hey, do you have a good church that you go to? Hey, have you told your pastor about this? Have you told your small group leader about this? Hey, have you shared this with your small group? I know for a fact they would want to help you. Here's, here's something I know for a fact. There are people in your small group right now that are dealing with depression or have in the past dealt with depression that would be a huge asset to you. Huge. Guaranteed. You say, well, who are they? I don't even know, but I know for a fact there are people in your group that would be willing to help. Guaranteed. Point them to resources that will help them. I'm going to give you a book when you leave today. Some of you might already have a copy of it. We've, we've hidden it up on two separate occasions here. It's a small book dealing with depression that I think would be helpful. Point them to helpful resources. Now here's the question. How do I help myself when I'm struggling? First of all, don't isolate yourself. You need real relationships right now. Not online friends, not some forum that you join or some private Facebook group where everybody discusses how terrible their life are. You need real eyeball-to-eyeball contact with people that love you, that care about you. In times of depression, we isolate because isolation's comfortable because we curl up with our sadness and we pet it like a cat. Don't do that. You gotta get out and get sunlight on your face and you gotta see people in the eyes. You gotta do that. One of the hardest things in the last two years is to isolate from people and not have real connections. We can't live there any longer. You gotta dig in. You gotta make yourself vulnerable. You gotta open up to real relationships. Ooh, where do you find something like that? The church. The church. That's what Jesus gave you to help you through this difficult time. Next, take a social media sabbatical, maybe even a social media extinction. And let me just tell you, when you leave, you don't have to let everybody know. Nobody cares. <laughs> I just want to let you know I'm taking a social media break due to my mental health issues at the current time. I might be back in a few. If you need to contact me, text me. on. The, nobody cares. Everybody just, you know what they did? <laughs> Scroll right past. And then guess what? You're posting cat videos on Friday and everybody's like, yeah, right, break, whatever. No, you don't have to let anybody know. Just stop. Delete the app from your phone and just be done with it. But here's the crazy part. You know, you know what Facebook will do to you? If you delete the app or you don't log in for several days, they'll start sending you emails. Hey, did you know that Bill posted this on Monday and you didn't see it? Hey, five of your friends interacted with this video. What do you think about it? It's just like, oh. And guess what? You have the fear of missing out, which is a real thing, right? Now I've got to be back on because everybody's having this fun without me. No. Delete those notifications. Unsubscribe from all that garbage. You don't need it in your life. Take a break. Maybe you just need to stick a pin in it and be done with it and move on be done. It's not helping you. Look, if academics and scholars with PhDs say that there's a link between social media and depression, you're not smarter than them. Guaranteed. Take their advice. Next. Be more faithful to church, not less. You need a church family during this time. You need to dig in deep during this time. You don't need to isolate yourself. Oh, I'm struggling, so I can't come to church. That's like saying, I'm so sick, I can't go to the doctor. No, you need the church in your times of difficulty and depression and suffering and despondency. And sometimes people say things like, well, I don't want to be fake when I go to church. You don't have to be fake. People say, well, people say, how you're doing? I don't really want to say, how you doing? Man, I'm struggling right now. If you could pray for me, that would be huge. There you go. Is that fake? Nope, that's the truth. Simple as that. Find a seat on the back row. Be friendly, smile. You say, well, I'm faking it. Fake it till you make it. Keep a smile on your face. Hey, if you could pray for me this week, that would be great. 
But you need more connection with Jesus' church, not less. Next, take care of yourself. Again, pay attention to your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your, your being outside, like your activity. And please remember that self-care and self-medication are not the same thing. Oh, I can drink a couple of beers and I feel everything goes away. That's not, that's not self-care, that's self-medication. And you're masking the problem with sin. Don't do it. Oh, if I hang out with these friends, I don't feel so bad. Are you masking the problem or are you fixing it? I, I, in fact, if you eat garbage food, you will feel like garbage, guaranteed. Panda Express is great for the first 10 minutes and it's terrible an hour later. Just let me tell you that. So if I want to feel good, I need to pay attention to the things that I'm eating and the things I'm putting in my body. Look, I, I thrive late at night, like 11, 10 o'clock at night, my brain starts clicking, I start having great ideas, I'm more creative at night. And I used to stay up to like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd crash hard until about 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, and then get up and go after it again. And I would go on like 4, maybe five, five, 5 hours of sleep was sleeping in. And I realized over time, my batteries drained quicker, I got more irritable, I got more frustrated. And so now, it's like, 9.15, I'm going to bed, guys. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. I'm going to bed at 9. Oh, you're getting old. Say what you will. I'm taking care of my mental health and well-being. I need to exercise in the morning. I need to get out and get my aggression out. I need to lift heavy stuff and grunt and scream and yell. That's good for me. It helps me. Otherwise, I take it out on other people. That's not good. You say, well, you know, Jim's become your idol. No, it's not. Jesus is still my God, but I need coping mechanisms. I need to take care of myself. And so pay attention to all those things. Next, get the help that you need. What does that mean? Maybe you need to go see your doctor. Ask your doctor for a, a full CBC panel and take a look at your blood, see what's up, what's down, what's out of range, what's in range, and things like that. My wife found this out several years ago. She went to the doctor, and she had a CBC done, and she found out that she was vitamin D deficient, and so the doctor says, you just need to get outside more. Go for a walk, and stuff like that, and so she did. She got out, went for a walk, you know, go around Alamona Beach Park and walk, and stuff like that, and so she did it, and she went back and had her levels checked, and her levels actually had gone down further, and her doctor says, I think I'm going to have to put you on vitamin D supplements, and so you think to yourself, like, vitamin D? Like, what is that, the red cat milk? Like, what do you need vitamin D for? You know what the number one symptom of vitamin D deficiency is? Fatigue, sadness, depression. Top three. What? Vitamin D? Yeah, it could be, it could be something as simple as taking different vitamins that could help you. But you don't know until you actually go see your doctor and get the, those things checked out. Next, talk with a therapist. I talked with uh, one of the ladies in our church that's a, a psychologist and a therapist. I said, when should people see a therapist? Like, what's the threshold at which you need to get help? She said, I think everybody should have a therapist. She's like, you have a, a general care doctor? Everybody should have a therapist that you call. But again, it's just like, ooh, there's kind of a stigma associated with like my therapist said, right? And most people wouldn't even say those words. Well, my therapist said I should focus on this. She'd say, I had a friend tell me that I should focus on this, right? Because you don't want to say that you have a therapist. Hey, look, you need help, get it. Nobody's got a problem with that. But if you need help, get it. Next, talk to your pastor. If you're struggling, I want to know. If you find yourself in a hole, I want to help dig you out. 
I want to throw a rope down. I want to be a hand reaching out to help you to get to where you need to be. You don't have to go it alone. And there's no embarrassment and no shame in saying, I need help. Next, read the Psalms and Megadose on truth. Again, if you want to find yourself, you'll find yourself in the Psalms. If you're struggling, Megadose on the Psalms. Read what the scriptures say about who you are in Christ. Read good books that will help you. Lastly, commit to the process. I just got to realize this is a lifestyle. Did you know for me, eating good food, exercising, being around people is part of my lifestyle now? Those are the things I, I used to hate doing. I love junk food. I love pizza. I love soda. I love candy. I love sugar. I love donuts. I love molasadas. Heavens. Love those things. I don't like being around people. I'd rather like curl up and watch like hours of TV at a time. I'd rather scroll endlessly on my phone. Those are the things I desire. I don't like exercise. I don't like to be uncomfortable. But you know what I did? I adopted a lifestyle for my long-term physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health. Just gotta think ahead. And like I try to limit as much sugar as I can. I haven't drank soda in over five years. I used to love, I could pound an entire two liter of Mountain Dew by myself and it was glorious. One sitting, like, I can't live like that anymore. You know why? Because I want to be healthy for my kids. If God gives me grandkids, I want to be around for them. I want to be around for my church family. I want to be useful to you guys and helpful to you. And I want to walk and serve with Jesus for decades with you guys. There's certain things in my life that just got to go because they're hindering that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you're not saved, your sins have never been forgiven by Christ, you need to do that because that's the foundation that we build on everything. Everybody else, hey, if you're struggling, let me know. Statistics say 40% of you are, and there's no shame in that. That's fine. We just can't live there. We're going to get past it together. I'm with you. I got you. I got a gang of people with me who want to help you through it. Let's do it together because there's hope found in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.